0: I'm happy to report, I think we figured out how to work the microphones now, and so you don't have to worry about that anymore. When I was in high school, I ran the two mile, and like many young track athletes, especially distance runners. The epitome of successful track running, at least in the United States for a long time, was the young miler from Oregon by the name of Steve Prefontaine. He was trained by Bill Bowerman and is really a lot of the thrust behind some of the history behind Nike and Oregon's track team. And he was known for his relentless determination. He would often frustrate Bowerman. His coach Bowerman would say, Steve, you've got to get out there and pace yourself. You're going to burn yourself out if you start so fast. And Prefontaine's response was often coach. Listen, I'm going to work the race out in such a way that in the end, it'll be a pure guts race. And if it is, I'm the only one who can win it. He shattered records. He overcame so much, and his life was cut down tragically in an early part of his life through a car accident. But many people know Steve Prefontaine because his name still hangs in the rafters and in many of the record books in our country. You think about physical races and the fact of one individual being the winner in the end and getting across. Then you think about the Christian race, and it's a race that not only everyone can compete and succeed, but in which we all must. Think about the millions of people who've been immersed down through history. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, allowing their body to be immersed in water and rise to walk in newness of life. Only shortly thereafter or sometimes in the distant future to make shipwreck concerning their faith like Hymenaeus and Alexander. 1 Timothy one, 18 and 19, or maybe false doctrine or some other spiritual hobby horse gets the best of them. And as a result, they can never recover and get back on track. Longfellow said, The art of beginning a thing is great, but greater is the art of finishing. Starting strong is good, but finishing strong is epic, were the words of Robin Sharma. And the idea is everybody can begin, but not everybody can finish. But if we're going to be God's person, we must. When you think about people who finish well, people that ran the Christian race and ultimately got across the finish line in the right way, few people come to mind like the Apostle Paul. You think about his finish, but who can forget his amazing beginning? God told Ananias in Acts chapter nine, when he was going to preach to Paul, he's a chosen vessel unto me and he's going to bear my name before kings and before priests. And I'll show him how many great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul was a chosen vessel, special and unique. He probably knew Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic and maybe even Latin. He knew the Hebrew Bible like the back of his hand and was well conversant in Greek culture as he made his way throughout the Roman Empire preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for all of his talent, his race was a difficult one to run. He suffered mightily. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16 down through verse 33, he details some of his hardship. He had been abandoned and persecuted. He suffered with anxieties. He thought about his work on a daily basis. He had been shipwrecked, snake bitten, abandoned by other individuals, several trials before the Jews and the Romans, lied upon, misrepresented. And then when you get to the end of his life in Second Timothy, chapter four, he's writing to his young protege, Timothy. He wants to encourage Timothy about some things from the past, but also about some things from the future. His race is coming to an end. But Timothy's race and our race is in one sense just beginning. And so he starts in 2 Timothy chapter four and verse one by saying, "I charge you therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom." Timothy preach the word, "Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. After their own lust, they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, they'll turn away their ears from the truth and be turned on the fables, but watch you in all things." Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. But not to me only, but all those who love is appearing. What Paul tells us in verses six through eight is about his race. But as we think about ours. There are four things instructive in that text that was read for us a moment ago by Todd that will help us to run and finish our race in magnificent fashion as well. So let's begin. Number one, if we're going to finish the race, we've got to fight the good fight of the faith. It's a shame that when a lot of people think about Christianity, they don't think about a fight. That really doesn't come to most people's minds. If you said summarize Christianity for me, most people would think about comfort. And ease and maybe an intellectual faith that's non-combative, sort of the ease and stress free life. But nobody could read the book of Acts and come away with that idea. People that named the name of Jesus in the first century were often on the run and persecuted and suffering terribly because of their faith. And maybe we should talk to people more about this on the front side before they obey the gospel. I want everybody in the world to be saved. But people should realize that when you become a Christian, it's not as if all battles are ending. The ultimate battle has really just begun. Paul says our battle's not in the flesh, but battle we still are engaged in. Second Corinthians 10, beginning in verse three, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's our responsibility to bring every thought and imagination into captivity to Christ. And you know what that's called? That's called a fight. It's going to be a battle in order to do that. And so God equips us. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18, we read about the Christian armor. Why do you need armor? Because you're in a battle. Paul says God gives it to us so that we can withstand all of the wiles or the strategies of the devil. Mike Tyson, the famous fighter or the famous biter, however you size that up, however that works out for you. I guess he's known for both. He said everybody has a plan when they get into the ring until they get hit. They're going to punch like this and swing like this. And then finally, when they get hit, they weren't planning on that. They break out into a wild swing, like maybe two schoolgirls on a ball field. He says, listen, they weren't prepared. God says, you're going to get hit. Get ready. Life's going to hit you hard. But I've equipped you. Be prepared. Fight the good fight of faith. Be prepared for combat. You remember what Jesus prayed in John 17 and verse 15. I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but instead keep them from the evil one who's in the world. Because it's a battle. I love Paul's terminology. He says, I fought a what fight, a good fight. Evidently, there's a bad fight. And Paul had fought that before. When Paul was on the road to Damascus before he met the Lord, he retells this in Acts 26. And in Acts 26 and verse 14, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks. He was fighting against what he knew to be right in every one of us. Whether it's been for a short amount of time or longer in duration, every one of us has fought the bad fight, lived in rebellion toward God or maybe been in the church and lived sort of a double life and weren't all that we should have been. That's the bad fight. Paul says, take that same energy, that same tenacity and wage the good warfare. First, Timothy one and verse 18. Engage in the fight for eternal life and be the good soldier in Christ Jesus. Second, Timothy, chapter two and verse three, engage in the good fight. We were once servants of the prince of the power of the air and we walked according to the course of the world and we did the things he wanted us to do. But he's saying you've got to do something different now. And that involves fighting the good fight of faith. Notice verse six again. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul's life could be offered up to God with thanksgiving because Paul had done what God wanted him to do and he had lived his life right. This idea of being poured out as a drink offering, it goes back to the Old Testament. In Numbers 15 and verse 5, there was this idea of when you offer up a sacrifice to God, if you really want to put icing on the cake, you pour out some wine. You pour out a drink to say, God, I appreciate you. And just like this drink is poured out, so is my life. Paul could say that about his Timothy, I'm already being poured out because I fought the good fight. If we would finish the course, it's to the degree that we learn how to fight. There are some things in our lives worth fighting for, like holiness. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, The Hole in Our Holiness, says, in the same spirit in which we run in full speed toward holiness, it's to that same degree that we're running toward God. Because God is holy. Leviticus 11 and verse 44, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, you be holy in all your conduct because God's holy. But listen, the world is not going to provide the conditions for you and me to make living holy lives easy. We sometimes look at the news and we say, I can't believe what the world's coming to. It's coming to exactly what God said it would. This is the devil's world in a sense. John 14 and verse 30. And so if we're going to be holy people, we shouldn't expect fair weather circumstances, everybody and everything to cooperate with us. We should expect a fight the fight for our lives. You want to overcome temptation, things you wrestle with and struggle with? I do. I'm tired of wrestling with the same things. But Paul says, you've got to fight the good fight. We've got to fight the good fight concerning spiritual apathy. Sometimes we say, you know what, I'm here, but I'm really not. Fight against spiritual apathy. Romans 12 and verse 11, not sluggish in business, but fervent in spirit and in zeal serving the Lord. Sometimes a person comes to worship assemblies and Bible classes, and if they're honest, they say, listen, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm kind of checked out. I'm going through the motions. That spirit, that feeling is not going to disappear. You've got to fight against it. You've got to invest spiritually and say, I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to fight to give God my undivided attention and I'm going to make myself get something out of this. I'm going to put something into it and see it's the truest realities in the world. It does apply to my life. I've just got to rewire my thinking to make sure that I see it that way. I've got to fight for my marriage. We talk a lot about unscriptural marriage and rightly so. But we also should fight for our marriages so that we don't settle for low quality marriage, which God is equally against. And in Ephesians 5, to 32, Paul says husbands and wives have responsibilities and roles and you've got to fulfill those to the good and glory of God. But we've got to fight for our marriages. The devil hates marriage. Genesis chapter three, he enters the garden, yes, to destroy the human family, but first to destroy God's first institution, which is marriage. Fight the good fight for your children. Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says, Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You think the world's going to help us do that? Cooperate with us. Make it easy to teach them the truths of everlasting life. You got to, to fight for it. Your children are going to be engaged in other hobbies. Nothing wrong with that. But if you think, well, you know what? They're going to make sure that the schedules for those things always coincides with the things of God. It's not going to happen. We're going to have to make some hard decisions and say we're fighting the good fight. We're in a spiritual battle and we're going to prioritize spiritual things for my own personal devotion. I'm going to redeem the time because the days are evil, Ephesians 5:16. And sometimes this one means doing less so that I can do it better. This may mean reading less of the Bible so that I can read the parts that I'm reading deeper and really let it sink in and change me. Slowing down so that I can really drink deeply from the well of spiritual things. Fight for my place and involvement in the church. We're talking a lot about equipped and a lot of things going on. And some people hear those announcements and they say, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know exactly where I'm going to get plugged in. But then there are other people that say, you know what, there's so much going on. It's going past me so fast. Maybe they've got everything covered. I can't find my way in. Fight for your way in. Stop a preacher. Stop one of the elders and say, I really want to know what I can do for the good and glory of God. I hear you all saying this all the time, but nobody's really reached out to me. I don't know where I fit in. Find your place because you have a place. Paul says everybody does. And then fight for restoration. Every one of us, every one of us knows somebody that should be here this morning. That's not. And some of those people haven't been here in a long time. And sometimes we've tried. Hey, we tried to restore them. Galatians 6:1 and 2 says, restore them in the spirit of meekness and consider yourself lest you also be tempted Or James 5, 19 and 20, if you convert a sinner from the error of his way, you'll save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. But sometimes we get tired of fighting. And while we can't override their free will and we we should feel no guilt for their decisions. Sometimes we can say to ourselves, he's gone. She's gone. They're not coming back. And we can just accept that that's the case. And we don't have God's permission to accept it. We've got to fight for restoration, restoring individuals in our families and our friend circle. We know that they're lost. And Paul says to Timothy, at the end of his life, when he's finishing his race, I fought a good fight. And there are some things in our lives that are just simply worth fighting for that we shouldn't surrender. Now, here's number two. Be sure to cross the finish line. I fought a good fight. I finished. The old King James says, I finished the course. Your translation may say, I finished the race. Paul's saying that because in a few moments, maybe not too long from when he wrote the end of this letter, he knows execution's coming for him. Paul's earthly life is soon to end. And so Paul could say about his Christian life, he's finished the race. But as he writes to Timothy, Timothy's race wasn't over. And as we read the words this morning, our race isn't over. And so we've got to make sure if we're going to finish the race, get across the finish line. How do you run a race? Some people say I don't run anywhere, right? Well, listen, if you want to run a race of any kind, you run it one step at a time. Jude says in Jude 20, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. It's one step. It's growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, not jumping in the grace, but growing. Second Peter 3:18. one step at a time. Get across the finish line. Jesus encouraged his disciples. Listen, Christianity is going to be about bruises and battles and hurdles and hardship. But if you can just finish, it's going to be great. You'll be hated by all men for my name's sake, but the one that endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 10, verse 22. Fear none of the things you'll suffer. Be faithful even in the face of death. I'll give you a crown of life. Revelation 210. What are those passages about? They're about making sure you finish no matter what. And he would often encourage people to count the cost. Be sure you really want to do this before you get into it. You don't want to get halfway into this and then quit. Which one of you intending to build a tower? Doesn't sit down first and count the cost, whether he has sufficient means to finish. Lest after he's laid the foundation and he's not able to finish, others begin to mock and say this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or which one of you intending as a king to go to war doesn't sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. lest why he's a great way off. He has to send delegations asking for terms of peace. Jesus says so likewise with all of you. Whosoever they be of you that doesn't abandon everything that he has can't be my disciple. Luke 14, 28 through 33. Get across the finish line and don't quit until you do. Think about all the things that tried to impede Paul's progress and being able to say what he says at the end of his life. We talked about some at the beginning of this lesson, but think about some other things that Paul went through that if he would have let them, they would have stopped him from being able to say, I finished the race. There were many. As soon as Paul became a Christian, They wanted to kill him and he had to be let down in the night in a basket to escape the city. Acts nine, 23 through 25. He was on the run for his life as soon as he received eternal life as a Christian. When he went to preach in Lystra, some people received the message. But Acts 14 and verse 19 says they stoned him and left him for dead outside the city. When Paul was in prison in Rome the first time, there were other people that started preaching Christ. But in Philippians 1, 12 through 18, he says some were preaching Christ of envy and strife because they wanted to make my life more miserable. They tried to hurt Paul. Paul says, as long as Christ is preached, I rejoice. Look right there in Second Timothy, though. Go to chapter one and verse 15. Paul spent the most time in his ministry, more than he spent anywhere else in the city. He spent more time in Asia than anywhere else. Over three years was spent preaching and teaching in Asia. But when he opens up 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, notice what the text says. All those in Asia have turned away from me. Everybody had quit Paul. Flip back over to chapter 4. And in verse 10, his co-worker Demas had abandoned him. But not just Demas. Think about all the people that Paul worked with and drop down to chapter 4 and verse 16. The first time Paul was on trial for his life in verse 16 of chapter four, he says, at my first defense, nobody stood with me. All forsook me. I pray to God that it's not late to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known. And I was rescued out of the mouth of a lion and God will preserve me to his heavenly kingdom. He says in verse 18, so many things got in Paul's way and Paul persevered. And I'm saying that to say you can persevere too. I don't know what your list is. Maybe you weren't let down in a basket and everybody hadn't abandoned you, but you've got a list. You've got a list right now of things that if you let them, they'll cause you to hang up your running shoes. You'll quit the race. And Paul's saying, I finished the race. You can get across. Turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12 and notice at least two things that get in our way. One of these is obvious. The other one we sometimes skate past. But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, The Hebrew writer says after chapter 11, you remember all of these people were faithful. All of these people are examples. But in chapter 12, verse one, he says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily ensnare us and let us run with patience. The race that's set before us. Notice in chapter 12, and verse one, he mentions two things. One of those is sin. And we know sin will ensnare us and slow us down. But the second thing he mentions are these weights. What are the weights? Evidently, the weights aren't the sin because Paul mentions them separately. The weights are just the trivial things of life. There are some small things, little things that if we let them, they'll get in our way. Lay aside sin. OK, I know I should do that. I'm a Christian, but also lay aside some weights. Lay aside petty and small, trivial things that we just let get in our way all the time. No man that is a warrior entangles himself as a soldier in affairs of this life. Second Timothy two and verse four Get those things out of the way and run the race. So you can say like Paul, I finished. Nobody believed in the grace of God more than the apostle Paul. He knew God was working with him. But in Second Timothy, chapter four and verse seven, it's personal. You catch those personal pronouns. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Why keep drilling it down that way? Because he's saying to Timothy, I've done my part. But Timothy, I can't run your race. When we lived in Florida, a friend of ours, his son played high school football and he was real good. He ended up now he plays college football for Texas A&M. But I remember when they played the state championship game, they were the Lakeland team and they played a team from around the Miami area. And we went to the state championship game with them. The team from Miami. Well, they're from Fort Lauderdale. They're called St. Thomas Aquinas. They're always in the football state championship in Florida. This year they had several former NFL players as their coaches people that play for the Miami Dolphins, Jason Taylor, some other guys. And when we got to the game, one of the fans from the Lakeland side was heckling the team from Miami as they were warming up, saying different things. And he was calling out to some of the coaches, one of which was Jason Taylor. He used to play defensive end for the Miami Dolphins. And he said, Jason, it doesn't matter that all you guys are over there. You can't play for these boys tonight. They've got to play the Lakeland High School dreadnoughts. He says, you can't suit up and play for them. They got to play their own game. And he was right. And Lakeland beat them. The point was, it doesn't matter how many superstars you got over there in the box. The players are going to have to get on the field and play. And Paul's saying to Timothy, I can't run for you. I fought a good fight. I finished my race. But you've got to finish yours. And that's true for every one of us. You've got to run your race. Your mom might have run hers. Your dad might have run his. Your spouse may be running theirs. You've got to be able to say, I finished my race. Because as much as Christianity involves camaraderie and fellowship and a team atmosphere, there is a sense in which it's also very individual. Every one of us must give account of himself to God. Romans 14 and verse 12. And so if you want to finish the race, be sure that you get yourself across the finish line. Now, here's number three. Hold on to the faith. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. And now Paul says, I've kept the faith. Faith in the New Testament is sometimes used in one of two different ways. Sometimes faith means you read about faith in the Bible and it's about your trust in God. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. That means we walk by our trust in God. Even though we can't see him, we fully trust him. And that's what we use to get through in this life. Or Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But there are other times when faith in the Bible means The teaching of New Testament Christianity, sound doctrine, like when Paul says there's one Lord, what's next? One faith and one baptism. That's not your personal trust in God. That faith there, that is the truth of New Testament Christianity or Jude three. Contend earnestly for the faith. So it could be one of those two things. Here's my question. Which one is Paul talking about in Second Timothy four and verse seven? When Paul says, I've kept the faith, does Paul mean he kept his personal confidence in God or he held on to the truth of New Testament Christianity? Which one is it? And what if it's both? If Paul means, as he writes to Timothy at the end, I've kept the faith, I kept my personal confidence in God. He means even though I'm about to die, I still believe him. You see, Christianity is an intellectual religion. Yes, there's study and there's thinking, but it also involves a childlike trust. And if we're not careful, we can learn a lot about God and we can lose that innocence, the hardships of life and all the difficulties we've gone through. We can say to ourselves intellectually, I know that God exists, but sometimes God doesn't really show up when I need him to. And so I've kind of lost some confidence and trust. I believe in God, but I don't believe God. Paul said in Acts 27 when he was on the boat, you remember when they're going through the shipwreck, I believe God that it will be things will happen just like they were told to me. And he trusted God. We talk a lot about apologetics, especially with our teens and our young folks. And we say, hey, here's how you know God exists. Here are the proofs. You need to believe in God. But we also need to believe God that involves faith and confidence and trust to say, I believe God's going to help me. Don't allow anything in this world to take your faith. Sometimes people say I used to believe in God, but, you know, I got into science. And let me tell you, listen, all science points back to the grand scientist, which is almighty God. Sometimes people let doubt get to them and they lose their faith. I can't know everything, so I've given up being able to know anything. Sometimes it's discouragement. Things haven't gone my way for so long. I've just lost my way. I give up altogether. Paul says, I've kept the faith. But what if, on the other hand, Paul's talking about the doctrine? Paul's saying, I've kept the faith. Paul would be saying there, I haven't quit. I hold to the truth. Notice some of the things that in Paul's last letter, he still believed. Go to Second Timothy, chapter one. At the end of Paul's life, Paul didn't get soft and start saying, "Well, maybe I'm wrong about all of this. Maybe I'm wrong about Christianity." Paul still believed. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, he still believed that salvation was only in Christ. He said that he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He still believed that as an old man at the end of his life. Look at chapter 2 and verse 8. At the end of Paul's life, he still believed in the resurrection. He said, Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He's from the seed of David, according to my gospel. At the end of Paul's life, he still believed in the resurrection. Look at chapter three in second Timothy and notice verse 16 and verse 17. At the end of Paul's life, he still believed the Bible was more than just a book about fairy tales. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction. He still believed that. And we need to believe it, too. If we want to finish our race. We've got to make sure that we continue to keep our faith. Kyra De DeStefan, they don't know. The authorities don't know how or why she and her boyfriend named Gregory were up on this hill in Pennsylvania, but they know they failed. Last year, right about this time, February 2022, he died, unfortunately, as a result of his injuries. But they ran up on the scene and there was Kyra. And she was hanging on by a branch, by a branch. They were surprised that she had been there. They didn't know how long she had been. They later found out she fell some 300 feet and she was hanging on by this branch. Once they were over the shock of the fact that there she was hanging, they were fearful that she might not be able to hang on long enough for them to get to her. But they were able to. They got down to her. They were able to latch on to her and ultimately pull her to safety. Use this cliche all the time. Such and such or maybe this thing is hanging on by a thread. But for Kyra, it was serious. It wasn't just a cliche. It was the difference between life and death. She was hanging on by a thread and it saved her life. That branch did. Sometimes when we think about holding on to the faith in our minds, we think that means the person who's correct. It's passing spirit with flying colors, with ease. But what if that's not true? What if holding on to the faith involves stumbling, falling, failing, barely getting by, but still getting by in Christianity, barely making it is still making it. If we hold on by a thread and it's a divine thread, we still win. First John five and verse four says your faith is the victory that overcomes the world. If it is the divine branch that we hold on to of Jeremiah 23 and verse five, we're still successful. And our ability to do so or our failure to do so is all the difference between everlasting life or eternal death. Paul says, I've gone through so much and I was close to quitting on several occasions, but I've held on to the. Here's the last thing. If we do, we'll receive a crown. Now, Prefontaine said when he would talk about running, I'm going to work the race out in such a way that in the end, I'll be the only one that can win. Aren't you glad Paul didn't say that? I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. There's a crown for me. Sorry for the rest of you guys. Beat you to it. Paul says it's for everybody. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day. But not to me only, but all those who love is appearing. Paul says it's for everybody. Paul uses a word for crown that was typical in their world for like this little reef garland. They didn't have gold and silver medals, but if you won in the Olympic Games or the Isthmus Games that they had in Corinth, you get this little reef around your head. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 925, they compete for a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible, the crown we're going to win, it's going to endure. Jesus would tell the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 311, see that no man takes your crown. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. When he's tried, he'll receive the crown of life that doesn't fade. James one and verse 12. Paul says, if you can just finish, you'll get a crown at the Olympics. There's the podium. You know, the victor's podium. There's first, second and third gold, silver and bronze. If you come in fourth at the Olympics, your grandma might remember, but nobody else. For the most part, you'll be forever forgotten. Paul says in Christ, it's all leveled out. Everybody. Is going to get a crown. James, who was beheaded in Acts 12, Paul and Peter, who were killed by Nero Caesar in about AD 64, and the newest Christian that obeys the gospel just before the trumpet blows. Paul says, if you can just finish, if you don't quit, you'll receive a crown. The Lord, the righteous judge. Nobody was happier for judgment than Paul. Throughout his life, he has stood before so many corrupt judges. He had been lied on so many times and misrepresented. The first time he was in prison in Rome was because they lied and said in Acts 23, he did some things in the temple that he had never done. Here he qualifies it. He says, Timothy, I've stood before some judges, but this time I'm going before the righteous judge in your life. You've been misrepresented. People have misjudged your motives. But one day you'll stand before the righteous judge and his judgment is according to truth. Romans two and verse two. And he always gets it right. And he'll reward us and award us. Not to me only, Paul says, but to all those that love is appearing. We need to get this order right. We don't love Jesus because he gives us a crown. He gives us a crown because we love him. There's a difference. It's not just about what God's going to give us. He is the crown that we ultimately want to receive. And Paul says, if you finish, Timothy, you'll get the same thing that I received. Steve Harvey is known as a famous comedian. But what he did in 2015 really wasn't funny. Now, I've never watched a Miss Universe pageant. The next one I watch will be my first, but I don't plan to. He made a blunder. You might remember the news outlets wouldn't let us forget. He went to read the winner and he read Miss Columbia, but it was actually Miss Philippines who won. He apologized profusely. He said, she's the first runner up. I misread her name. I'm sorry about that. And they really wouldn't let him live it down. But just imagine if you were there. Imagine if it was you. Imagine having the crown placed on your head, doing your victory lap in your victory wave only to have your celebration halted. If somebody says, we're sorry about this, you really didn't win. You really didn't succeed. I know you were excited. You had your victory speech, but we crossed our wires. And imagine being on the other side, hanging your head in defeat and thinking, I've lost. I'm a loser. All my work's down the drain. And in a moment's notice hearing, hey, we've mixed it up. You actually won. You thought you lost, but come up front and receive your reward. That is the great reversal that'll take place in the judgment. So many people right now are not running the race at all, and they believe that they're winners, and to their great shame, in the day of judgment, they'll hear, it was a false crown, you really didn't win. I know you thought you were successful, but you weren't. And then there are others right now suffering mightily and terribly. And they say, I feel like a loser. All my works in vain. The Christian life really is not profitable." And in the day of judgment, they'll find out what we already know. The world often announces the wrong winners. Jeremiah, Isaiah 38 and verse five, he says, God is your crown. He's the one that's going to give you the victory. Jesus says, when I come, I'll bring my reward with me. Revelation 22 and verse 12. And we'll see they read the wrong names. This world has all the wrong heroes. The true victors, the true winners are those in Christ. And Paul says, if you're in Christ, you'll receive that crown. Paul's life was special. Paul was a servant. Paul ran his race and he won. But God's not done giving out those victory crowns. Everybody in the world that names the name of Christ is a whosoever faith. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord We'll be saved. Romans 10 and verse 13. He invites everybody to line up to run the race and we don't have to run it alone. Jesus promises to run with us. It takes faith to begin the race, putting our trust in what he's done, turning away from sin, confessing with the mouth what our heart believes and being immersed in water to have our sins forgiven. When we do that, that's not the end. It's just the beginning. The good news is you've got heaven's reinforcement behind you. But the reality is, Get ready for a fight. You will be hit. There will be hardship. And that doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean God's picking on you. It just means you're a human being that you're in the spirit and that God's going to help you through. But you can't quit. The only way to finish this race is you have to begin. And maybe you have. And you're one that on the front end is thinking, I'm on the verge of giving up. I'm on the end of throwing in the towel. Paul says, don't quit. Get across the finish line. And if we can help you with that, we would love to do so by praying with you and praying for you. We're going to be led in a song to encourage us if you need to respond. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.